Hi everybody, this is Xixiao. This is yet a new episode of Salesforce Way podcast. Today I'm sitting with again a new guest. His name is Lauren Newcomb. Hello, Lawrence. Hello, Xi. Great to be here. Before starting, would you like to still introduce yourself? Thanks, Xi. So, so I work as a, a lead technical architect for an organization called GiveClarity.org, which is a Salesforce implementing partner and ISV focusing on the, the nonprofit space, predominantly predominantly fundraising. So we help organizations of all sizes up to some really big sort of global organizations to to improve their capabilities and capacities around raising activities. So so lots of lots of Salesforce work, lots of core platform, lots of marketing cloud projects, analytics. And we a lot of our a lot of our projects also use use Salesforce NPSP. So we we see a lot of see a lot of activity around NPSP in the in the community as well. So Lawrence, did you mention you are also a CTA? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I skipped that bit, but yes, I, I've been a CTA for about the last two and a half years, I think, something like that. Yeah. Congratulations. Maybe it's too late, but uh, yeah, it's good <laughs> to have you on, on the show. <laughs> Thank you. In this episode, we want to talk about a topic. It's named SSO, the single sign-on. So could you still briefly define what is SSO? Sure. So I guess in a nutshell, also single sign-on is about using the identity that a user has established in a, a in, in a, an application, so typically in in the context of of, of, of SAML single sign-on, that would be called an identity provider application. It has sort of slightly different <laughs> reference terminologies depending on the, uh, the framework that we're we're talking about. But let's kind of consider identity provider. That's kind of a quite kind mm-hmm. of useful descriptive name. So the the we it's an, so single sign-on is really about the opportunity to use a user's identity in that application to authenticate to other applications. So for example, it might be that we, a user's identity in Google is being used to authenticate authenticate that user in a ServiceNow account or a Salesforce account or any number of corporate or non-corporate applications that need to know who that user is and know that they are authenticated and able to access access those those applications mm. i mean even without knowing the concept still people have been using the sso for so many years you know i remember it's definitely more than 10 years ago the first time i i, I went to a forum an online forum like the text-based some threats and people are discussing there and i just saw one day I can log in via Google account, or log in via a Facebook account. That was the first time I, I encountered the SSO. I was like, it's such a brilliant idea. <laughs> it seems like magic the first time. You yeah, indeed. It's like, wow, how did you do this? But it was really smart. I don't need to remember anymore or create a new account, right? I was like automatically signing with my, my Google account. Mm. Actually, in my own machine, my Google account is automatically signed in. So whatever other website I goes to, it can always use my already signed in Google account to authenticate in, which is really, really convenient at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great point. And actually, because there's, there's, there's really sort of two sides to why SSO is, is a great thing. And 
Um, and the, and the, one of those sides is really about the the user experience. So, so why why is it as an end user SSO is great? It's 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 exactly that. It's that that sort of sense of or that convenience really of having that sort of single password, that single authentication method that basically gets you in, in into multiple places. Ideally, everywhere you need to go within a within a corporate environment. Let, let's talk those things through here. Especially, I'd love to hear. Like how SSO is is used in in Salesforce ecosystem, and also you know I was working in the consulting area. I know a lot of customers, especially when they nowadays start to use Salesforce, they already want to the SSO to be enabled at the day one to get all these mm-hmm. benefits. So so how do we use SSO in Salesforce? Yeah, so there's there's a few options, and I suppose before going into those specific options, it's worth mentioning as well that even the role that Salesforce can play can can be quite different. So, Salesforce is often used as, or, or often will play the role of a single service application in in an, an IT estate. So there'll be an identity providing application that that authenticates users into Salesforce. So that's a very common common setup. So and the sorts of identity providers you might sort of typically see in in, in those environments are things like Okta, Ping Federate, OneLogin, but also even you know even even, even sort of Microsoft uh, Azure Active Directory or ADFS, uh, Google Workspace. So these these are sort of environments that are used for multiple things often can also act as as a source of identity as well. So in, the, in that context, so Salesforce can play the role of a service provider being and have it have the authentication being done by by those identity providers mm. so you mentioned some names just now i would assume for medium or large organizations they have already on their enterprise architect level they have already identified some identity management system for example they might say we want our entire organization we want every users to use the microsoft ad once they have already defined that, then once they start to use Salesforce, so they want Salesforce to also use the same identity provider to authenticate the users in. Yeah, that's certainly very common. Yeah, coming to as you say, medium and larger organisations will tend to have a policy in, in in place if they yeah if 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 they which typically Salesforce will need to comply with that rather than necessarily dictating what that should be. Okay, got it. The the other context that. So, or I suppose the other role that Salesforce can play in some circumstances is is actually acting as the source of identity in itself for other systems, other applications. So, in, in that context, so users will be logging in to other applications via their Salesforce user accounts. So that's that's something that can be quite helpful to to set up in, for example, in multi-org situations. So, if users will require access to more than one org as part of their job. It, we can set up single sign-on between those orgs in so it's sort of often, often referred to as a hub-and-spoke model where there is a single hub org that controls the, the identity authentication for that for, 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 for the users in, in the spoke orgs. That can simplify, yeah, simplify the account management for, for those users. Uh, it's, it's also quite helpful in, in community scenarios. So I worked on a project where we had a, a community for a network of partner staff 
and those those all the, all of those partner staff required access to a training portal as well as their Salesforce community. So we were able to to provide that in quite a seamless way by establishing single sign-on from the the training system into Salesforce. So so it's quite a a sort of straightforward seamless experience of moving between those systems for for those 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 partner staff and they probably weren't even aware that they had two different user accounts from their perspective they had a a, a single single login to remember that was all of their access to the systems that they required as part of that that arrangement how should i study that when i look at the salesforce the certificate pyramid I would assume it sits on the right side, which is a system architect. Yeah, that's right. So there is an identity and access management architect certification, I think it's called these days, which is yeah very much focused on on what what you need to know really around setting up single sign-on in various contexts and also authentication and authorization considerations for for overflows as well, for example. But if a person wants to study further to the CTA, does he need to dip deeper into the SSL site? It's a great question. I guess the answer is probably yes. There's, oh, there's right. certain quite specific things that tend to be asked about at CTA review boards. So, for example, it's fairly seems to be fairly common commonly asked for for candidates to draw the flow of a a single sign-on mechanism that they've recommended as part of their solution or or a or you know an an authorization code flow for example if that plays a part in their their solution so there's a a slightly sort of different slant to the the information you need to have immediately to hand in your head (laughs) i know lawrence you have your personal website where you share topics of Salesforce-related diagrams or architects. Is SSO also part of the information? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So, 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 yeah. So, SSO is is quite quite a big part of that. And so, the 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 focus that I've tried to kind of cover on on my website, so cloudsundell.com, is 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 really about sort of authorization and authentication considerations for Salesforce in in general. Of which single sign-on is is kind of quite quite a big part of that, and then various different OAuth flows that sales, Salesforce can participate in are covered in on on there as well. So it's worth just being, just for complete transparency. I was by no means a identity Salesforce identity whiz at the time that I started studying for CTA. So most of the materials actually that are on that site. Uh, kind of started life as my study notes really for for CTA and trying to you know my, my, myself really kind of build up to that level of knowledge that you you, you do need to be able to demonstrate at, at the board so so they are whilst I wouldn't say that it's entirely focused around the CTA preparations that was kind of how it started life so so yeah hopefully it's it's useful for others in that in that way as well. Yeah, we appreciate you share the knowledge, you know, and also those diagrams have had a look. So a lot of diagrams definitely they will help us to to build the knowledge in our mind easier than read a lot of text. And uh, yeah, I'll put your site and maybe SSO-related articles specifically also into our show notes just for our listeners to check. Great. Thank you, Xi. But now here, I also want to study a bit of SSO rather than only on the concept level. So how, how can I learn from you? Well, I've got a, I've got a proposal, if you'll okay. play along with me, Shi. Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. So I thought what might work to help 
illustrate some of the specifics about actually what's sort of happening behind the scenes during during single sign-on interactions. For the purposes of this, I like if you'll join me, I'll play the part of Salesforce and you the parts of Google. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy to be as Google, at least for <laughs> half an hour. Great. <laughs> okay, thank you. I mentioned there are different protocols and different methods that, that Salesforce can employ around single sign-on. So I thought we could kind of explore the, the, the two main ones. Okay. So a as a SAML-based single sign-on flow that is probably sort of the more common one that you'll see in authentication between corporate applications. And then after that, we can look at an alternative version of using the Open Identity Connect protocol. Sure. Let's get it rolling then. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, so in our first example, so as the identity provider, so in, in both cases... She, you're going to be playing the part of Google, but you're actually going to be a slightly different flavor of Google in each one. So okay. in our SAML-based flow, you're going to play the part of a Google workspace. So Google workspace is effectively kind of Google's corporate product that if you sort of use Google at an organization, you're likely using or a corporate account, you're likely using Google workspace. Whereas in the OpenID Connect, you'll be playing the part of the consumer Google service. Mm -hmm. And that, that actually speaks to one of the sort of key differences between, between the two mechanisms that we'll come into in a moment. So the first thing that we need to do as part of getting ready for some SAML single sign-on is we're going to have to agree between us, between Salesforce and Google Workspace, the, the configuration parameters that we'll be using to, to communicate with, e with each other. So first of all, I would want you to tell me the identity provider login URL for the for for you as the SAML application in Google. So I would assume it's like google.com slash something. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something something like accounts.google.com slash something slash there'll be a SAML two in there somewhere. But if effectively it's a it's a URL which which allows me to as Salesforce to send an authentication request or a well as, as a SAML request to the correct Google Google Workspace SAML app so that you can then manage the process of actually authenticating the user. That's like the first endpoint that Salesforce can reach to talk that's about. That's right, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's a bit of information that I just need to know and have configured in, in my Salesforce org. I'm also going to need to know that you're effectively kind of your identity as as Google. So so we call this the the issuer. So this comes as a parameter in the in the SAML assertion that come that you'll be sending me sending me back and I the sales source will be using it to ensure that the SAML assertion is is it or, to, or to, to know where the SAML assertion is coming from effectively okay and then there's a bit of stuff that you need to know as well as the mm -hmm. Google Workspace app so I'll need to tell you my what's called an assertion consumer service URL it's a bit of a mouthful so it's normally abbreviated to ACS URL ACS. okay which is effectively, it's the URL which you'll be posting the SAML responses back to ah, um, in, okay. in Salesforce. So I have to store that information in my site, in the Google Workspace site. That's right, yes. 
I also need to let you know my entity ID. So this is kind of the equivalent of your issuer. This is my, again, it's a string that I'll be using to say, hey, this is me. That's a unique ID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And we'll also need to agree how we are between us identifying which user we're we're talking about. So so when you send me SAML assertions, Mm -hmm. those assertions are going to include a reference to a user who you've authenticated. Now, you're not going to be sending me any passwords or any sensitive information like that. What you'll be sending me is effectively what I need to know to identify that user. So that could be, often it's it's an email address, particularly in, in this sort of circumstance where Google's in control of the email address, that usually makes sense. Mm. It could also, also potentially, it could be a Salesforce username or it could be a Salesforce user ID. But the, the important thing is it's something that we can both access that allows us to correlate correlate who the who the user is mm, okay got it okay so so let's jump into the flow so we've got all of our configuration ah, so what do we we have just done is that to, between the two roles we have kind of exchanged the information so that we we have prepared us for the future the flows that's going to happen when the the user authentication starts right yes See, it's useful to pick up on the fact that, yeah, we've had to do something in both systems. So I've had to store some things about Google. You've had to store some things about Salesforce. And that, that's kind of one of the core tenants about, about using, using SAML is there is configuration required, you know, the company's instance of both systems. I understand. Okay. All right. Okay, so in terms of what actually happens now that we've got all of that set up, so let's let's think. Okay, so a user wants to go to a page in Salesforce. So, so let's, let's imagine. So I, a Salesforce, I receive a page request for a user's clicked on a an account record link, for example. Maybe they got emailed a link. They've clicked on that link. Mm-hmm. Um, let's imagine they're not actually logged in at the time. So as Salesforce, I recognize that they don't have a session with me with Salesforce. I'm going to redirect that that user from rather than obviously showing them the account page, which I, which I can't do yet. I'm going to redirect them to the, the Salesforce login page. That page is going to, well, depending on how we've got it configured, but let's imagine we have, you know, maybe there's a, there's a login box there. They could use a username and password. And then there's separately, there's a login with my Google account button. Yeah. Yeah. The user could then click that button, of course. Then I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna find the IDP login URL that I have configured for Google. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna redirect to that login URL with a couple of bits of information. There's gonna be a SAML request in in that redirect. So that SAML request is kind of a formal sort of XML format request that kind of mentions all, all the things that are sort of important about who I am and the, the expectations around sort of the SAML protocol that's used and that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, let, the, probably the, the most important bit that we kind of need to know now is that I'm going to put in the issuer field of that SAML request. As Salesforce, I'm going to put my Salesforce entity ID. So that's going to identify that this SAML request has come from me. So then I, as Google, I would receive this request, this request with XML content coming from you, the Salesforce end, with this identity to identify where exactly is sending from, right? 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm also, as part of that request, I, I'm also going to put as a re, what's called a relay state parameter. I'm going to put the a representation of the URL that the user actually clicked on. So we're going to basically send this relay state back and forwards between us so that eventually, at the end of the flow, I'm going to be able to serve the user the page that they originally clicked on. Ah, it's just to facilitate the user. Once the authentication is done, then he still redirects back to the original link that they came from. That's right, yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, so the user is redirected to the Google Identity Provider login URL. So I'm supposed to do something now. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing you'll need to check is, is is the user logged in at Google? Probably not. I would assume that the user is not logged in. So then I should redirect the user to the Google login page. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. And then the next step, the user would uh, type in his credential. And let's assume that's uh, the correct credentials. And uh, then Google in my database, I can really uh, see this user logs in successfully. I assume that's the part I confirmed the user information. I can then somehow compose the the SAML XML response back to Salesforce at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you you'll be constructing what's called a SAML assertion, which is yeah, as you say, it's the XML response that represents what I, I as Salesforce need to know to to serve yeah to authenticate or consider that user authenticated in Salesforce and to serve serve and secure content. Mm. You also mentioned the most important thing, of course, is the the unique identifier for the user. Let's <laughs> let's try to use uh, yeah. the email here. But I can, in case I want, I can attach additional information of the user. Exactly. That's okay. right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there are a few other things in that assertion. But yeah, like, like you say, that's kind of a, a really key part of it because that's, that's how I'll correlate that to, to the right user. Okay. So you, you'd also include in that the, as the issuer for that SAML request, you'd identify yourself as, as the Google app. Um, you would you'd also indicate the recipient as as me as Salesforce and so the identity ID for for Salesforce. So I as Salesforce should only should only be able to consume a a SAML assertion that is intended for me. So, so it has the recipient. So the the effect of that will be that the user is is basically redirected back to Salesforce and oh and so specifically back to the assertion consumer service URL. So, so yeah, so that's that's basically the URL at Salesforce which will manage kind of incoming SAML assertions. Mm-hmm. Salesforce, I'm going to check that that assertion is from someone that I trust. So uh, mm-hmm. there's two things that I'll check as part of that. I'll check the signature. And so, so you, you, uh, you, uh, as, as Google, you would have also signed that assertion with the certificate for, for the app. And also check that the issuer matches matches a configuration in, in Salesforce. I'll check, of course, that it's intended for me as the recipient and I'll find the user. And if everything all checks out, which I'm sure it does, then as Salesforce, I can trust that that person is logged in and I can trust that. I'll issue a session to the browser. And finally, I can take the relay state that would have also been returned and redirect the user to that account page that they wanted originally. Okay. 
So that's the final stage the user successfully authenticated in in Salesforce and then redirected to the correct account and page. That's right, yeah. But I would assume that Salesforce also has a user record for the specific logged in user, right? Not only on the Google side, but also on the Salesforce end, there's a matching user record. Oh, that, that, yeah, often that will be will be the only supported <laughs> scenario. So, so yeah, that's that's certainly often the case that the user has and that, that, that we're able to find a match. Hmm. It's possible also we can set up a what's called a just-in-time provisioning handler so that we can actually kind of configure logic to run at the point that we receive a SAML request that has a user that we haven't seen before. So, so that kind of just-in-time provisioning, as you would imagine from the name, and that's a way that we can actually create users on the fly in Salesforce based on what we're being told by, by Google. Oh, okay. um, so that that is an option as well. Or otherwise, if we if we don't have that set up, you know, and which you know may maybe maybe preferable in a lot of circumstances, we can just just sort of fail that that login as well. Okay. You mentioned the just in time provisioning. I can definitely see that there are like pros and cons. Like mm-hmm. the pros you just mentioned, the admins don't need to always provision a user in advance before the user signs in. But of course, on the other side is that there might be too many users. Maybe they use Salesforce for one time and then you create the user yeah. account. That's too much <laughs> hassle, maybe. Yeah, it could because uh, things could certainly get out of control quickly in, in some environments. Yeah, another one that actually is often one that's, that's sort of easy, easy, to, uh, easy to overlook is actually the process of deprovisioning. So it's all, all very well, you know, having that person set up, mm-hmm. uh, set up and ready to go in Salesforce. But without, you know, that explicit sort of tying together between the Salesforce accounts and the Google account, that there isn't a mechanism through, through you know, through through just the, the, the SAML interaction to actually deprovision that user. So that's why, so with with a lot of identity providers, certainly all of the, all of the, the major ones, the provisioning and deprovisioning processes will be handled, you know, through through API calls or through through, through a different mechanism, which yeah ensures that that deprovisioning side is covered off as well as the as well as the provisioning. There's there's another consideration as well, and it, again, it depends a lot on how how things are set up from a permission point of view, but we need to, of course, as part of setting up a user, there's various things in Salesforce that may or may need to happen, or it might be important that they don't happen in relation to permissions. So we need to be confident that that person's being set up with the right profile, with the right role, potentially with the right permission sets, permission set groups, and all, all the other things that go into configuring a user record correctly. Now, Google might, and, and there are ways to send through specific attributes from, from Google that represent information about the user. So it might be that actually we have all of the information we need in Google to be able to translate that within the just-in-time provisioning handler to set the user up correctly in Salesforce. But off, often there will be some detail to that that won't be available in, in Google or the equivalent. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's important to think through as well. I would kind of assume if an organization is the first time to configure the SSO for Salesforce, maybe we start from the baby step. We just enable SSO. We don't use the just-in-time feature. And once the users are, are get used to that, then we are thinking about step two. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's norm. Yeah, that's normally the best way to start. Is is yeah, getting getting is simply the single sign on element mm. setup, and and yeah, provisioning can can come later potentially. Okay, so I guess we have just covered the SAML SSO side, right? You also want to introduce me the Open ID SSO? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Open ID Connect. So as as I mentioned, so Open ID Connect is effectively an extension to the old specification. So again, I'll be playing the part of Salesforce here. So and in this case, she. So you're. Let's imagine we're now kind of not in sort of a wholly corporate environment, but we're. What we want to do is we want to trust the identity within a user's own personal Google account. Yeah, I mean there, there are various ways that we can use Open ID Connect, but this is this is one of the circumstances where it's particularly useful. Is you know there isn't necessarily anything in Google that we as an organisation have the ability to configure or to control. Yeah, because I, I kind of assume if we are using the Google Workspace, because we are the paid customer, we have an instance in Google side that our Google admin, let's say, in our company, can configure there. But it's, if it's the consumer endpoint, then it's it's up to everybody to use in the world. So you definitely don't have control. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And one of one of the circumstances. Of- see this come up a lot for sales forces in the context of what's called social sign-on which is sort of more often used for community access so it might be that we want to allow for users to sign up to a community using their google account or using their facebook account thanks yeah got it and yeah again this is sort of one of the key differences sort of conceptually between the two is whereas in the saml you had knowledge of course of all of the users in the google workspace app in in this this version the authorization is is actually it's actually the user in control of their own authorization as to whether their details are sent to salesforce or not oh, um, okay. so that's that's facilitated through the through the standard sort of oauth consent mechanism mm. i think i've seen this many times when the user uses this oauth or this open id authentication to log in there's a page in the middle of login ask the user you are about to grant this information to the the service provider would you happy to do that accept mm. or not right yes exactly okay. yeah yeah, that's exactly. It. So it starts starts in a similar sort of way. So let's pretend now that it's in a Salesforce community. So maybe they click kind of a page in a community. A Salesforce, I'll recognise they're not logged in to that community. I'll show them the the login screen that allows them to click the button to sign in with Google. At this point, I'll I'll then redirect to to Google's authorization endpoint. So this is something that is for a service like Google. There's a, there's a number of services that are pre-configured as auth providers in in Salesforce. We can also add add our own for any services that aren't there. But Google is an example of one that's already pre-configured in Salesforce. So the authorization endpoint. Salesforce already know for Google the request would be or I could I could redirect to and there's there's a, a few things that I'll as Salesforce in, include in that but one of the sort of the main ones is what's called the redirect URI so this is effectively where where you as as Google needs to send the authorization code that I'll then afterwards use to to get the the access token and the identity token for, for that user 
I'll also be including sort of scopes. And so it's important that when you mentioned around the approval, so scope is kind of the technical word for the things that the user is approving access okay. to. Okay. So, so we'll typically want to send a scope that represents the, the identity token so that the user is effectively saying at the point that they're prompted with that screen, they accept that they're happy for their identity details to be shared from Google to Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've redirected to the authorization endpoint. So she, it's over with you again now. Um, okay. so are, they, are they logged in at Google? You, you said on my end, I don't need to do anything anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, but I can assume it's a similar theme as the SAML process on you know, my end, on the Google end, is that I check the user's credential. Once everything's correct, I still prepare the response content. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so here we're following a, an authorization code auth flow effectively there, there is a, there is a an implicit grant version of this but but the more secure one is the authorization one and so so as part of this flow so so once you've kind of checked that the user is logged in and that they have previously consented to to all of the all of the scopes so the identity token and and anything else that I've requested as salesforce you'll send send me the salesforce a an authorization code which basically allows um, you in a moment to, to then get details for that user. So, so the authorization code corresponds to the user, but it's, it's very difficult to misuse that code if it's intercepted because at, at the moment this is all happening through browser traffic. Okay. So the authorization code is, yeah, it's effectively just kind of a, a pointer that you can use to, to find details for that user in, in a moment. Okay. This now it sounds a bit different from the SAML and right now we have the authorization code. Yes. Yeah, this is one of the mechanisms in our auth that helps it to, to be as secure as it is because we've we kind of got that separation between sort of browser traffic and, and back-channel communication in the authorization code flow. Okay. So, yeah, so it ensures that we don't need to send any, any sensitive information through the browser. Mm-hmm. So... So I'm I'm going to receive that at the at the redirect URI in, in Salesforce, the callback URL, and then I'm going to straight away. So I'm straight away I'm going to use that authorization code in a a post to your token endpoint at Google. Okay. So that that post is that's going to happen outside of the browser. So that's going to be a sort of a, a backend call. Hopefully, very familiar is in in the context of OAuth. So I'm going to have a client ID and a client secret in there respond to the Google token endpoint. Those again, those would be managed by Salesforce as sort of the its kind of central understanding of how to communicate with Google. And then there's also the authorization code will be included in that. Yeah. So over to you again as Google. So I've sent you an authorization code and I've be- I've sent it to your access token endpoint. So I've basically asked you for an access token and potentially an ID token as well here. Okay, let's see if I can get it right. On my end, I received the authorization code. Authorization code. Yeah, I will check that to make sure it's valid and it's from the right person sending to me, and then I re- return. Yeah. So your your response would yeah would include an access token and and an ID token as well generally. 
Okay, then I give you back two other new tokens. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of where it gets then a little bit sort of up to implementation, but in some circumstances, it and it depends how this flows sort of good. But it, it it could be that actually we just sort of stop there. So Salesforce mm. at this point has the identity token, which includes you know generally sort of the user's name, email address, you know maybe a URL to their picture, that kind of thing. Okay. Um. So that that would allow Salesforce to sort of correlate that to to an end user. But the the, the best practice with the, this flow actually is to is for Salesforce to call what's called a user info endpoint um, okay. at Google, which is sort of the the the, the, the stand, standardized way of retrieving user details. So the user info endpoint would be called with the access token for for that user and then would yeah would would return again kind of identity claims for for that user and that's that that would be sort of a, a, a standardized way of getting that 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 information about the user so that that's that's kind of the the, the recommended version is to have that extra extra call okay um, and in addition to that your salesforce also has the access token of the user that's right yes yeah yeah so that and which might be helpful for other things as well. So of course, if, you know, if there are APIs at Google that Salesforce might need to call on behalf of that user, then there's after, at the end of the, the OpenID Connect flow, Salesforce has the ability to, to do that as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, that can be an advantage of using this flow. But the Salesforce only has as much permission as the user at the, the login phase grounded you to do, right? The scopes are sort of generally quite broad. So, so yeah, it might be sort of a scope that, uh, you know, allows me to use your APIs or a, a scope that allows me to sort of shoot, yeah, kind of if, effectively authenticate sort of to front end pages. So they tend to be sort of defined in quite a broad way. But, but yeah, it, it, it depends what we've or what I as Salesforce have requested as scopes and what the user has agreed to as scopes as to what I'm then allowed to do. With that, with that access token. So now I think we have finished the open ID logging. So now the user can will be redirected to original page he tries to access. Yeah, that's right. So there's there's a there's also then like a, a handler class that's run in Salesforce to actually sort of interpret the contents of that identity token and then correlate to the user and that that side of things. So it can be quite simple in some cases, or it can be quite sophisticated if we need to do anything special to figure out from an email address who might that actually correlate to in Salesforce. Mm. But but yeah, effectively let's let's sort of imagine we've found a user, they're then logged in. And yeah, they can be then served that that original URL. The way that's done, I'm not actually hundred percent sure if this is how Salesforce does it, but I think often that would be done by the URL being stored as a cookie before OpenID Connect interaction happens so that yeah in, in the browser salesforce can recognize what that page was and, and serve the right page but but you know lawrence it triggers my interest here is that why there are these differences between this saml and the open id because for saml it's really easy for me to follow but in open id there are two or three steps mm. Try. i can see it's kind of like a separate the role of the the actions but is that necessary? What kind of security concerns do we have? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So, so yeah, OpenID connects, and certainly in that configuration that I 
ran through, which is the yeah piggybacking off the authorization code flow. I mean, it does have those those advantages that I mentioned around ensuring that we don't have you know any potentially sort of personal identifiable information, for example, won't be shared in the browser. I mean, that can be the case with a SAML-based flow, but you kind of have to, you know, potentially you might need to make sure that that, that user identifier is, you know, maybe rather than using an email address, you might want to use something more secure, like a, a generated identifier, something like that. But that, that's not concerning quite the same way with, with, with OpenID Connect. Certainly, if you wanted to send sort of other things about the user, so I mentioned you can, we can have SAML attributes added by Google that sort of represent other information about the user. And yeah, you can imagine sort of very quickly <laughs> that could end up having quite a lot of sensitive information in it. But there are ways to, to mitigate against that as well. So we can, we can configure that assertion to be encrypted. So Google could encrypt the assertion and then in the Salesforce side, we can have the certificates uploaded that could be used to then decrypt the assertion. But it's, you know, yeah, it's this, this sort of an extra steps to doing that. I think the other, I mean, aside from sort of the specific, um, yeah, kind of pros and cons, really, one, one of the nice things about OpenID Connect is, it's, of course, it's all, it's all OAuth based. It's all sort of, yeah, sort of REST calls and JSON and, you know, technologies that are, very familiar and and in wide use in mobile applications and and, and web applications of, of all kinds. So whereas the SAML standard is very much this is a SAML <laughs> SAML specific kind of thing and it uses XML and it's so it's likely if you know if you're building a new application that you know needs to support single sign-on, it's probable that you need to do something very special for SAML. Whereas for OpenID Connect, assuming that your application has some REST interaction anyway, then then it's likely, you know, from a development point of view, yeah, you're working with something very familiar and and possibly already have kind of some of the, the mechanisms and infrastructure already established to, to, to do that and to extend out to, to support OpenID Connect flow. Okay, I got it. Is that the corporate side only can use the SAML or is it also be able to use the open ID. Yeah, so so yeah, absolutely within corporate applications it is it's possible to use Open Identity Connect as an alternative to SAML. And I believe that's becoming more popular as as an alternative. To be completely honest, I think probably the main reason it's not already more popular is kind of the the inertia behind the use of SAML. So SAML's been around for a long time already, it's kind of generally quite well understood by IT teams. It's often in place already for a number of applications. So I think the the, the main reluctance, I think, is more it's it's more just that it's it's a change than it's necessarily a re- yeah that there's a reason not to use OpenID Connect. Mm. The one thing I would want to know is that in Salesforce, when we configured OpenID, there were multiple steps of talking with Google. Is there a good way for us to troubleshoot between each step? What token I got, what result I received, you know, when I set up the open ID, I need 
to debug it, right? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's and it's actually one of the things that I do think, and then there's probably ways of doing this that that I'm not aware of that make this easier. But I personally find it a lot easier to debug SAML interactions, simply because it's all in the browser. So everything's happening in one environment. There's and there's a lot of really helpful tools out there. So there's a sort of a, a SAML tracer tool that allows you to very sort of easily extract. And you can kind of have as a browser extension, you have running as you're carrying out a SSO interaction and it'll pull out the SAML request for you. It'll pull out the SAML assertion for you. So it makes, makes it very easy to, to see what's going on at, at the browser level. Because with OpenID Connect, it's typically sort of split between browser interactions and back channel interactions that can be harder to do. Of course, inspecting the browser traffic through something like sort of Chrome sort of dev tools that works it works quite well. You can sort of see what's what's going on to some extent with that. And also, you know, sort of simulating some of the requests with, with Postman or, or, or something like that can, can be quite helpful for, for debugging, you know, making sure that you're getting the authorization code back okay, that side of things. And similarly, you know, simulating those back channel interactions between Salesforce and Google. But yeah, there's, there's not an, a especially easy way that I'm aware of that you can kind of monitor the the actual sort of interactions between Salesforce and Google in, in that kind of back channel. I, do, I think it is it, it is probably a little bit more tricky to yeah to kind of monitor that that whole sort of end-to-end flow. Mm, I guess this is also one of the reasons the corporate side is still in some <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, so thanks a lot, Lawrence. It's really great to have you on the show, and uh, I really love the examples you gave us. It helps a lot in the audio, you know, medium to to explain things and share your knowledge. Pleasure. Uh, thank you, Xi. Yeah, great, great to be on. Thanks, thanks a lot. For Talk to you next time. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye.